Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings in one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this episode on Tuesday, September 22nd, 2020. And Aaron, given that on the last couple of shows we've talked at length about the Marvel Avengers game from Square Enix, I just saw that three days ago Square Enix released a patch that supposedly fixed over a thousand bugs in a game. A thousand? Well, that's too bad. I was hoping they would have gotten more of them. <laughs> Is it really that buggy? <laughs> or Yeah, it, it really was considerably buggy. Uh, there was a, a wonderful example that will show you my frustration of I had to defeat five characters, each with a little star over their head, mm -hmm. and I would go to where they were located, I would punch one, and he would fall through the map. Mm -hmm. So I could defeat the other three or four, but the one that was no longer on the map, you, you can't reach him anymore, so you just, you couldn't progress forward in the game. Oh. And so then you'd have to restart the level, and then I'd get back to where those five guys were, and this time three of them fell off the map. And now there's only two left, and I punched them out, and the game's still waiting me for, for me to defeat three other characters who no longer exist. So I couldn't beat that level. And so when this uh, update came out, I said, gee, I wonder if they fixed that. Mm -hmm. And indeed they did. All five characters remained. They did not get punched down through the earth <laughs> and fall into infinity uh, to where I could no longer reach them. So I was able to progress from that level. And there were silly things like Black Widow's hair. Mm -hmm. It looked like almost like a broom, the, the bristles of a broom, very, very stiff. They didn't move at all, and they were very broken texture-wise. It, it kind of just looked really horrifyingly bad. Mm -hmm. So anyway, a lot of glitches on the, the visual side as well as the gaming side. But for the last five years, mm -hmm. ten years, since we've had a stable connection to the internet, no game has ever come out perfect. Back in the old Atari days, they, when they released it on a cartridge, it either worked or your game didn't sell, period. That was the end of your business life forever and ever. Nowadays, publishers put out undercooked pies. <laughs> and then they let you get it in your hands and they go, just pop that in the oven for another hour while we give you what's known as a day one patch. And no matter what game you buy nowadays, you can put it in your hard drive and it will spin up and your, your game system will go, hold on, apparently this is an underbaked pie and we need to download 10, 20, 30 gigabytes of data. And so you're sitting there tapping your foot for an hour or two if you have a slow connection waiting for your pie, mm -hmm. and then when it's ready to ding, you can go ahead and consume. So yeah, uh, I'm not surprised that it was flaky on day one, mm -hmm. and, it, and it needed a, a day one patch, and when it and it needed a heck of a lot more than a day one patch. So yes, this is their, for real, we mean it, it's not broken this time, guys, patch. You can now play the game patch, and then after that, they'll work on what are known as quality of life improvements that are... You know, like, hey, this character plays better. It's got a, a thing that does it a little bit differently that people are kind of angry about, you know, the delay of this versus the speed of that, mm -hmm. et cetera. So, yeah, now now they'll actually, now that the bugs are fixed, they can work on gameplay mechanics and issues to make the game more fun instead of just infuriating with faults. Okay. <laughs> well, then, this brings me to my next bit of news. And suddenly I'm, I'm not... I'm a little hesitant to, to tell people that on November 12th, Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales uh, will be swinging onto 
PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. So you're not describing a, a fun first hour or so of when, when you get your game, right? Yeah, but gamers know what's up. They've mm-hmm. played the game before. They've put in the disc and then it's had the day one update. They know. Mm-hmm. They expect it. Okay. The only other bit of news I was kind of intrigued by is that I, I keep finding two different price points for this thing. I find a forty nine ninety nine price point versus a sixty nine ninety nine price point is is that the the variance between retailers or is that the no, no no that is a special version where it may come with like extra DLC or costumes or accessories or cosmetic trinkets that really don't affect the gameplay much. But it's very, very common for there to be, if there's a AAA title that comes out at $59.99, there's your basic price point. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Super Deluxe Gold Edition that gives you like a shinier version of the gun that your main character carries or whatever. And they charge you like an extra 10 or 20 bucks for that privilege of that cosmetic accessory. Okay. So that may be what you're looking at there for the two price points. All right. Well, good. all right. Thanks you for straightening that out. So so that, that basically ends the gaming corner there, folks. Now to sort of pivot to the news, brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of Marvelous Disney. For a worry-free travel experience, book online at storybookdestinations.com. So... To just get right into it, you and I clearly come at the WandaVision trailer from two entirely different angles. Because for me as an entertainment writer, what I loved about this trailer is it was clearly put together by somebody who loved sitcoms from the 60s, you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Like, if you look at the actual poster for WandaVision, Wanda actually has June Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver's Pearls on. On the other hand, there's a a shot in the middle of this thing where the kitchen that Wanda and Vision are standing in, I mean, it's straight out of the Dick Van Dyke show. And I also have to give credit to whoever is casting this thing. But to get Deborah Jo Rupp, who played Kitty Foreman, Eric's mom from the 70s show, uh, she's evidently playing a character called Mrs. Hart, but... That character is Gladys Kravitz, the nosy neighbor from Bewitched. I mean, mm-hmm. whoever cast her needs the big check. But again, I fixated on the sitcom thing. You, on the other hand, do you want to talk about the stuff that jumped out at you? A bottle of wine. Oh. That was it. That's where the that's where the thing began. That's where the thing ended. Mm-hmm. Bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. The bottle of wine. I didn't pick it up. I didn't notice it. It was a, a shot in the trailer. I loved the trailer. Mm-hmm. I liked the vibe of the trailer. It was several hours after the trailer where someone said, hey, did you notice the bottle of wine? And then I went down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. and then came back uh, several weeks later like Alice, aged a little differently. Mm-hmm. So the bottle of wine that floats to pour a glass of wine on the label, it says Maison du Mepri. Mm-hmm. Maison would be house mm-hmm. du would be of and Mupri. Uh, I didn't look it up because it, it just got to House of M mm-hmm. and that's where everything stops. Mm-hmm. Who cares after that? House of M. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have a really unique conversation starting point about a lot of speculation. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. We've never, ever gotten it right when it came to trying to predict what Marvel gives us. Mm-hmm. They say that they're going to give us civil war. We look to the comics and go, well, it has to go exactly like this. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. The movies simply borrow from a great idea in the comics and then they subvert it. They twist it. 
it's malleable and they shape it to their needs of what the cinematic universe needs. So there's two things that we're going to discuss about this bottle of wine and the House of M. One is at the end of House of M, Wanda says, no more mutants. And all of the mutants lose their powers and they become simply humans. Now, we obviously do not have mutants right now. Well, the speculation is, what if at the end of this one, Wanda says, let there be mutants. And this actually creates mutant kind. Hmm. That would be an interesting way to bring the mutants into the, the MCU. Into the MCU, right? Yeah. We'll leave that off to the side for a second. The other aspect of House of M is Wanda has created an alternate reality. And that's what we're seeing in in the trailer is this alternate reality. And in the example of the comic books, Peter Parker ends up getting married to Gwen Stacy. She did not die at the hands of the Green Goblin. Peter got to marry the love of his life, and that was a happy ending. Magneto ended up becoming the ruler of all the mutants and all of the mutants ruled over mankind, the exact opposite of the way it was in, in the real world. That was Magneto's dream come true fantasy land. So what the world was discovering was that in this Wanda alternate reality, it was basically everybody got to choose their happy ending and they got it. And that is where Dr. Strange ends up coming into the story and saying, we have to stop this multiverse of madness. Mm -hmm. And that's where we go, oh, well, gee, doesn't that fit like a glove with what is coming down the pike later on with the movie? Mm. So we've got, just because of these tenuous connections in the comic book universe, we've got a whole lot to speculate now off of, off of a simple bottle of wine and a label uh, poorly translated to from French to English. The original plan here was WandaVision was going to start the last week of December, total of six episodes, so it would wrap in February, and then in May of 2021, we were going to get Multiverse of Madness. COVID totally has screwed up that plan, but Wanda had been shot at this point, and pretty much the insinuation from everybody I've talked with is the scenario you're laying out about, you know, Wanda. And, and I think the other thing, people need to remember how powerful Wanda is. There's that wonderful moment in Avengers Endgame where she comes on the battlefield after having lost her love in uh, Infinity War and having been one of the, the characters that was effectively dusted when, when Thanos snapped his fingers. But when she comes back on the canvas... There's that exchange, like, you took everything from me, and it's like, Thanos says, I don't even know who you are. And it's like, you will? And then she just proceeds to pound the crap out of him. Thanos turns to a member of the Dark Order and says, rain fire. And it's like, Corvus Glaives. It's like, but sire our troops, and just do it. He takes out a good chunk of his army just to try to break free from the Scarlet Witch's hold. I mean, she's this ridiculously powerful character. Also, we have to remember she's in this really fragile emotional corner because we, we saw her in Age of Ultron. She lost her brother. And then to lose her love in Infinity Wars. And to actually watch the Tony Stark funeral scene, she's standing with Bucky 
and uh, Sam Wilson. So she's she's standing with the Winter Soldier, or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So it's like, hey, you're going to get your Disney Infinity Series, and I'm going to get a Disney Infinity Series. But if you watch her, she's she's in her own head. They're standing right next to her, and they're interacting, but she's just alone. They're, she's broken. And so that's the insinuation that when WandaVision starts this broken character, this is how she's decided what she needs to do she needs to change reality back you know or change reality to a place that she's happy that the things she loves are back and then we pay the consequences there is a thing about that Mm -hmm. that mirrors quite a bit dark phoenix because in this comic in particular house of m Mm -hmm. part of the discussion is because wanda is mentally broken Mm -hmm. at that point and she has this world-altering type of power Mm -hmm. they decide that for the the sake of all of reality we have to kill her and so the x-men show up and and they basically are there to to kill wanda and then she's not at the location that they thought she was going to be in and Mm -hmm. etc etc and i have a feeling that there is a a little bit of that uh because it was the same thing with dark phoenix Mm -hmm of she's got this ultimate power to do whatever she chooses to do. So for the sake of humanity, we have to kill her off. And that kind of mirrors one another. One final note on the whole WandaVision storyline is it started as Earth 616 Wanda, Mm -hmm. but by the end of it, because of the alternate dimensions, it changed to Earth. And I don't remember. It was like a one, three, you know, six, four, five. It was, Mm -hmm. it was like, very very different than 616 so this may end up making our reality differ and well you're going to end up talking about that right with who who may be cast yes yes in fact another story broke just over the past week about dr strange and the multiverse of magics went from a may 2001 release date to getting pushed back to a march 2022 release date and to give the folks at Marvel Studios credit, evidently they're taking advantage of this. They've done a couple of rewrites of the Marvel Multiverse of Madness script. They're looking to take advantage of the fact that because of COVID-19, basically half of Hollywood is now out of work. And so some very interesting people are potentially available to come in and do cameos in this film. Now, one of the reasons it's called Multiverse of Madness, and people have warned very upfront, there's going to be at least one sequence of this that comes as close to a Marvel horror film as the MCU has ever done. So the insinuation there is we get our, you know, a taste of Marvel zombies. But to go to the other end of the spectrum here, they're also looking to have some fun with this film, and the notion is to do things like have Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. Again, well, I need to go talk to Bruce Banner, so I go to, to Bruce Banner's office, and who's sitting in there? But Edward Norton's version of Bruce Banner from the original Hulk film. Or, for that matter, Doctor Strange reaches out to Matt Murdock, and the Matt Murdock he interacts with is Ben Affleck from the 2003 Fox film. And the wildest story that's currently making the rounds, evidently there's been a call made to Tom Cruise. If you go all the way back to the very first Iron Man film, there were two candidates for the role of Tony Stark. There was Robert Downey Jr. and there was Tom Cruise. And the studio, which was Paramount at the time, was obviously pushing for Tom Cruise. 
Favreau, on the other hand, was really pushing for Robert Downey Jr. because it was like, he's a better fit for Tony Stark. He's already damaged. So now just the notion that, that you know, here we are more than a decade later and potentially we're going to get to see what Tom Cruise might have done with, with Tony Stark. So, you know, we're in such a bad place right now in Hollywood and in entertainment. And the notion that here, potentially, Multiverse of Bandits is going to come together and, and have this this amazing cast where you get to see different people as characters you love, that could translate into a lot of extra ticket sales, Aaron. I got to call that a bunch of clean pigs. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what a bunch of clean pigs is. What is that? Hogwash. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. The reason I the reason I call hogwash on that is well, first off, mm-hmm. the Ed Norton thing. Yep. If you say uh, have Doctor Strange go up into Banner's office and here's Ed Norton, mm-hmm. does that make the Hulk movie the movie that happens in a different dimension? All of a sudden, does that no longer take place within our normal MCU? Is that out of our timeline at, by way of transition? If Ed Norton's the fake, you know, the, not the 616 Bruce, but a different Bruce, mm-hmm. that means that the Hulk movie from back in the day is is not 616 Hulk either, which would make sense because he looks different than our, our current Hulk. Mm-hmm. But... Then you get to Tom Cruise. The only way that the Tom Cruise joke makes sense is if you know that a studio and a director had a fight mm-hmm. over who they were going to hire. And I don't think a lot of common folk know that. Only, you know, like movie geeks that are, you know, listening to the, this podcast would be privy to that knowledge. Mm-hmm. So the general public, I don't think, would get that inside joke necessarily. Mm-hmm. And then if you were to bring back Chris Evans as Johnny Storm, from the original Fantastic Four. That is, by the way, one of the ideas that is being floated. So, um. Yeah, but I mean, if if you did that, mm-hmm. then everyone's like, no, he's Cap. Mm-hmm. And then you got to have like this whole other discussion about if genetically this guy is an exact duplicate of this other guy over here, but one is named Johnny Storm and the other one is named Steve Rogers, then what... How does that work? I mean, it creates all of these stupid discussions that I don't think Marvel wants to have right now. And I don't think that, and honestly, the other thing, these are the types of little treats and Easter eggs that they would save until the movie rolls. And I mean, the the joke of Tom Cruise, if, if he is in the movie for a split second, that has to be a surprise for it to have meaning. Because if I know it now, and then I go witness it later on, I, and I see like that, 30 second clip I, I don't care i was expecting that all of a sudden it's not a surprise to reference the podcast we just did last week remember we were talking about how that harris poll where 72 percent of adults are now a little afraid to go to a movie theater i get what you're saying about you know if it's if it's an easter egg it's got to be a surprise if on the other hand you're just trying to put asses in seats the fact that you want to talk about, you know, it's like, hey, this Multiverse of Madness movie that's coming out has the most amazing cast against Tom Cruise, Ed Norton, Ben Affleck. You want to come to a theater to see this. So don't... Wait a minute. We're going to suddenly be tricked? Tom Cruise now playing Tony Stark, and, and all of a sudden I'm going to go, oh, what pandemic? Take my money. 
that's not going to work. I'm, you have to you have to have the reality. Of, oh, okay. Well, let me skip that. We already know that my viewpoint of that from the last episode. Moving on. I'm just saying you have to put yourself in the shoes of a Hollywood executive facing down the barrel of what's going on right now. And there's some different decision-making going on, largely because I need to convince frightened people to come to back to the movie theater. So my movie can't just be special. It has to be amazingly special. So it really is not a coincidence that this story is coming out at this time after we've just had the past two weekends of Tenet not doing the business that they expected domestically, or for that matter, you know, what just happened with Mulan. So, oh, uh, before I forget, though, we were just talking uh, briefly about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We got our trailer for uh, WandaVision dropped during the Emmys this past Sunday. About that very same time, over at Disney Plus on the page where they give information about the series that are coming up. Uh, very quietly, the coming for 2020 for Falcon and the Winter Soldier was changed to coming in 2021. It's definitely back before the cameras, but it just, the planet's in the line for getting it out this year. If everything had gone according to plan, you and I would be talking about it probably at this point, Episode 2 of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, because it, it would already have started running on Disney+. Plus. But that's going uh, 2021. And speaking of 2021, what we'll be shooting in 2021 is She-Hulk. Did you see the news that broke about that this week? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. And I was rather excited about that news. I was oddly surprised to see the Twitter backlash that it wasn't going to be played by Alison Brie, who's been in Community, which I understand because of the Russo brothers' connection to Community, Yep. but I really like the, the girl from Black Orphan, mm -hmm. and I think she'll do a tremendous job, so we should be celebrating, right? Yeah. Yay, good choice. Yeah, I, yeah, for me, what's kind of intriguing is to look at this show and to look at the number of people with sitcom experience, or, or for that matter, you know, animated sitcom experience. I mean, we've got Kate Corio. She's directed episodes of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Modern Family, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She's directing the pilot. She's on the hook to do a number of episodes uh, for the, the initial season. She's also going to be the executive producer. Uh, meanwhile, we have Jessica Gao who was a writer for Rick and Morty. She's going to be in charge of the writer's room. And as you mentioned, we had Titania, who I really feel like she got robbed on Orphan Black because anybody who watched that show and watched how many different variations of the, the title character she played, and all of them were distinct, all of them were vivid, and the fact that the Emmys couldn't bring themselves to recognize that was kind of maddening. But it's, yeah, to have her as, as Jessica Walters and She-Hulk, I think it's an interesting choice. I do like the fact that it, the someone who's directed It's Always Sunny and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, yep. I could only hope that they carry like a tenth of the vibe of either of those shows yeah. into it. Because, I mean, we've always had a, a rather lightness mm -hmm. to our Marvel universe. Even it, when a city is falling out of a sky, we have the ability to crack a joke, <laughs> make a wink, and fly to the rescue. So... I'm okay with them using humor a lot. 
And if they decide to go bonkers at some point and obscure and oddball, I'm all for that. I, I you know, it's part of the reason why I'm so excited for WandaVision mm-hmm. is because of how odd it looks right now, how different, mm-hmm. how unique. So I'm hoping for something that's um, worthy of existing. I don't want to show just because we want to fill a hole. We, we know like we want to put a character on TV. So let's just put a character on TV. Mm-hmm. I want there to be a reason for that character to exist. And I hope it's damn good reason. No, I agree. It's kind of like when they brought Peter Parker on the canvas for Civil War. This is the first time Peter Parker was actually a teenager. And It really did change the dynamic. First of all, because Tom Holland did the performance that he did, we get that that wonderful arc that played out over, you know, Spider-Man Homecoming and Infinity War and uh, Endgame, where you had Tony Stark as father slash mentor. That wasn't something we had seen in the other two Spider-Man series. I think the reason why they really went that route Mm. is because if you would have had Uncle Ben in the movie, Mm -hmm. he would have been Peter's first mentor and there would have been that relationship. And then you would have had to have had the loss of Uncle Ben and then you would have had to have Peter healed enough that he can carry on with a new mentor Mm -hmm. like Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. And that's just too condensed of a timeline. So if you scrap, you know, the Uncle Ben story that we've all seen enough times that we know it by heart. Mm -hmm. And you just jump to Peter's past that, and he now has time for that new Uncle Ben-like figure in his life. That's, I think, part of the reason why that clicked so well in the movie, is we all understood what Peter was missing Mm -hmm. by not having Uncle Ben there. Mm -hmm. So that when Tony did come in, we could all see that of yeah one genius to another they both love science they both love their gadgets Mm -hmm. what other kind of big brother could you hope for in the big brother program but the billionaire one that just happens to love building power suits Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's that's a great insight uh well again another reason i bring up tom holland and his take on peter parker because just this week of thereabouts I, i guess it's been on on youtube for a while but it bubbled up again yeah his audition tape for Peter Parker for Civil War is out there. And and you know, the odds of him landing this role, like Sarah Finn, the casting director for Sony, they looked at supposedly looked at over 7,000 tapes, 7,000 different actors, and then found 200 that they thought were solid candidates. And in this video, didn't he do some gym- gymnastics? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Okay, so I think that put him in the top 700 right there, right off the bat. There you go. <laughs> can, can do his own stunts without a mask, without a, a stunt replacement. That floats you up to the top pretty quickly. All right, carrying on, go ahead. But what sealed the deal is that they finally got him in a room with not only uh, Robert Downey Jr., but also Chris Evans, because these were the two characters in the MCU that he was going to have to go head-to-head with and hold his own. And this was a kid who could stand there with with a Robert Downey Jr. and play at that level, or for that matter, could do the Chris Evans-Brooklyn-Bronx exchange so wonderfully. And speaking of Spidey, on last week's show... Uh, Aaron and I spent an awful lot of time talking about the Anaheim Avengers campus and its Web Slingers ride. In a moment, though, uh, we're going to give you an update on what's going on Marvel-wise at Hong Kong Disneyland and Disneyland Paris. 
It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Before we get to the the Hong Kong and Disneyland Paris stuff, I want to mention Nancy and I were at our local Disney store, but it was interesting to see the Marvel stuff that was there, particularly the Marvel Spidey stuff. What's really kind of sweet is it's not a question of, okay, I want to go with Spider-Man. It's like, oh, well, which one? That they have four kids Halloween costumes. You can go as classic Spider-Man, Peter Parker. You can go as Ghost Spider. Now that's Gwen Stacy, right? Yeah, her, her white costume there that we, we would know from the uh, Into the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. with her ballet shoes, her little cute blue ballet shoes. You know, I, yep. I did not notice the ballet shoes, but it did have the white outfit and it did have uh, the mask that we know yep. from uh, Into the Spider-Verse. And then, uh, speaking of Into the Spider-Verse, you could also dress as Miles Morales. Downside is these Halloween costumes are pretty pricey, $49.99 each. And by the way, the Captain America outfit, the costume itself is $49.99. If you want to spring for the, the shield to go with it, I want to say that's $29.99. But it does light up and it does make 15 sound effects. That's a steal. Mine was 300 bucks. <laughs> but, but it was also solid metal. It is, it is. <laughs> that was one cool piece of hardware, just sort of casually displayed there in the room, but definitely an eye-catcher. Uh, by the way, how far along are we on our R2-D2 at this point? Um, Actually, it's been going rather well. There have been a lot of coveted electronics for the dome mm-hmm. that have been really hard to get. Mm-hmm. People had waited for years and years to fetch mm-hmm. a couple of parts here and there, and I've gotten... Uh, just about all of them. I'm just about done with everything in the dome to where I can start moving on to to body and legs. But uh, yeah, the the bits they're expensive mm-hmm. and they're hard to come by. And I can say just because of COVID, mm-hmm. a lot of people were not working, they're furloughed or have some time off, mm-hmm. so they would go into their tinker hut mm-hmm. or their garage and they would work on components. And so, actually, the R2 Builders Club has been going pretty strong just because people have had a little bit more free time and have been devoting it to their hobbies because they've had time to devote to their hobbies. So, yeah, I got some some really rare parts, and I'm super excited, but uh, it's going well. Well, it's, it's so interesting you bring that up because, again, I've been doing the same thing. I've been doing a lot of hunting on eBay for stuff I use in research for stories and that sort of thing, and they're... There's been a book I've been trying to find for years called Spider-Man Confidential. It's the unauthorized history of Spider-Man. Subtitled From Comic Icon to Hollywood Hero. Came out in 2002 from Edward Gross, but it's published by Hyperion. 
which is Disney's publishing arm. This was published in 2002, out ahead of the very first uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie. This is a full seven years before Disney buys Marvel. So it's this fascinating read of the history of the character and, to a lesser extent, Marvel publishing, written in such a way that kind of awards in all way that I, I don't think necessarily today Disney would would necessarily talk about Stan Lee in quite the same way. But it, it's it's a fascinating read. It does a deep dive into the, the animated series from the, the 60s and 70s, likewise the live-action television series. It's definitely worth chasing down on eBay. or And in fact, every so often I see a, a copy pop up on Amazon. Also, in last week's show, we talked about the e-ticket attraction, the, the Battle of Wakanda ride that's going to make use of all of this amazing technology. Now, the way Disney was going to keep costs down on this ride was they were going to develop it to be placed in other parks. And the two other parks, in addition to Disney's California Adventure uh, at the Disneyland Resort, they were going to place the Battle of Wakanda ride in Walt Disney Studios Paris at the Disneyland Paris Resort and also at Hong Kong Disneyland. Now, Hong Kong Disneyland is already, their Tomorrowland is already home to two wonderful Marvel-themed attractions. We have the Iron Man experience, which basically makes use of the motion-based simulators that we know from Star Tours. That opened back in January of 2017 at that park, and then just this past year, we got Ant-Man and the Wasp Nano Battle, which opened in March of, of 2019. But the idea is these were sort of the very first attractions that were going to go in and then kind of across in fact it's very much Aaron the, the setup that we know from Anaheim there was going to be a building with a Quinjet parked on top of it the key difference with this setup for the attraction though is that guests would then enter that building and then go down particularly to Hong Kong they had to go under the train tracks that circled the park and then they'd enter the main building and, and have the uh, Battle of Wakanda experience. Problem with Hong Kong, while we had so many theme parks here in the States shut down in mid-March because of the coronavirus, in Asia, Hong Kong Disneyland actually closed on January 26th. They were among the first to sort of like, oops, okay. They closed a day after Shanghai Disneyland went down. Uh, they closed on the January 25th of that year. They stayed closed uh, till June 18th of this year, reopened, but then there was another resurgence. And then July 15th of this year, Hong Kong Disneyland shut its doors again, largely because it's like, okay, we haven't quite got this under control the way we want to. Let's try again. And speaking of trying again, September 25th, Hong Kong Disneyland will, will reopen for the first time again since mid-July. They're going to reduce the number of visitors they bring in. They're also reducing their schedule. The park uh, will be closed on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, remember, we've talked previously about the $900 million worth of construction that has been paused. Supposedly... At least for the foreseeable future, the Battle of Wakanda attraction for Hong Kong Disneyland is on hold. Should the park return to its full operating schedule, we will eventually, again, because the idea is for cost savings, we've already developed this attraction for Anaheim, we want it to be built in, in Hong Kong and in Paris. 
the hope is especially should it up uh, the Battle of Wakanda open in Anaheim, it proved to be a huge success. It'll be like a Splash Mountain franchise and walked around the world. Paris, on the other hand, kind of a different animal. They have begun retooling parts of that park to put in Marvel-themed attractions. They're not doing a whole lot of talking about that right now. Some of that is because of what's going on with Disney's New York Hotel, uh, one of the, the six big resorts there. It was originally a, a, a New York-themed hotel, uh, opened with the resort uh, back in 1992. Back in 2017, Bob Chapek, the head of Disney Parks, announced that it would be reimagined, the, the Hotel New York, as this celebration of Marvel. And that, you know, there would be, for example, in the lobby, there'd be this amazing display of many of Tony Stark's Iron Man outfits. There'd be uh, prints and concept art from films. There'd be classic comic book covers. The exterior of the hotel was actually going to be redone in the classic Iron Man colors, the red and the gold. And that, by the way, is proceeding. That there's, I was just looking at uh, photographs of them working on the exterior of the hotel this past week. It sounds a lot like a Planet Hollywood just redone for Marvel specifically, right? You know, you're not wrong. That, in a weird sort of way, yeah, this is kind of a, a Planet Hollywood or a Hard Rock writ large. It's going to have 476 standard rooms, uh, 65 executive rooms, and, and eight suites. In order to get that done, they shut down back in January of 2019 with the notion that this would be ready for guests come June of this year. But COVID-19 happens. In November of last year, they actually uh, opened the hotel up for reservations. There were people who were booked to come stay in the hotel in June of this year. And of course, just like the stateside parks, Disneyland Paris Resort shuts down in mid-March, doesn't then reopen till July 15th of this year. As a direct result, uh, the opening date for the hotel has now slid back to March of 2021. The idea is that if you're a Marvel fan, given the full build-out that's planned for Walt Disney Studios Paris, the Marvel land was supposed to be the first chunk that was done. Then, toward the very back of the park, they were going to build another version of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and then this giant lake. And on the other side of the lake was going to be basically a frozen land. They're going to recreate the, the Kingdom of Arendelle and then the North Mountain where Elsa's Ice Palace was. And now we're about a third of the way in to what was supposed to be built for the studios. They're, they're redoing a coaster or two and with a Marvel theme. And of course, we have the hotel, which will open next March. But same thing with Hong Kong, the e-ticket, the Battle of Wakanda that was supposed to serve as the the anchor for this land. That's off the table for a while. Well, it sounds like they've got nothing to offer then. We've got a land. We've just got absolutely nothing to put it in. We've got a name for it. It's called Marvel Land. Why don't you go ahead and marvel at nothing? Well, we do have a building where you can queue that has a jet on it that doesn't fly and the queue goes nowhere. Please marvel, <sighs> exclamation mark, Excelsior. Uh, Sorry, Stan. I'm, I get the reality of why it is, it is, it is. Yep. I get it. I know why. I'm, it's, it's unfortunate. It's sad. But 
until they start building things and start putting things in their place, they're just going to have to wait until they can do proper construction. And then it's a matter of, because you've, you've mentioned this a few times, the budget. Mm-hmm. Does Disney have the money to pour concrete and erect steel? Because if they hadn't already done that, apparently your project is in limbo. Now, how much of that involves their Avengers campus area? Is all of that in question? Is a part of that in question? Or what? what is going to get sacrificed so that can go forward? Well, I mean, there's a lot of variables. There are, there are. And, and we're also overlooking one of the, the biggest ones and the, the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, if you look at what's happened to the world economy and how so many people are concerned about groceries and rent, let alone, oh, I got to take the family to a theme park. Disney at this point gets that every time something like this happens you know for example the the financial correction in 2008 people recovered and industry recovered and that sort of thing but you know during a time when people it's like you know i i need to figure out how to pay rent i need how to buy groceries uh, mm. things like golf courses you know just it, it was one of these things where it's like there were thousands of golf courses in the united states that closed and went away because that was one of those things where it's like people just looked at that and it's like Yes, I love to play golf, but it's expensive. I can put that in the rearview mirror. And right now in entertainment, I mean, you know, in fact, that that's one of the things we, we need to, to stress here is that October 7th, Disney is holding an Investor's Day. By the way, uh, I want to give credit to Drew Taylor for making me aware that this was on the horizon. And there's a lot of news, folks, that is going to come out of that day. Because, again, we've talked about what happened with Tenet. we talked about what happened with Mulan over this past month or so. Again, we have Hong Kong Disneyland opening up. But, again, it's closed for two days a week. Disney is a company in a lot of places in our lives. But when it gets down to it, this is about entertainment. You need shelter. You need water. You need heat. You need food. You don't necessarily need to be entertained. Just today, there's been a lot of back and forth about when we might see a COVID vaccine. And I think the most recent prediction is maybe April of next year. But that's another six months. Do you think that the movie industry is willing to wait six months? Or are they going to keep trickling movies like uh, baiting an audience is going to work at some point? I honestly do not know what to tell you I have friends who work at the studio. I have friends who work in exhibition. And the word, we are well past concerned. We are into terrified. <laughs> well, sure. Well, okay, let me let me ask you, the, if, we're, if we were betting, hmm. I would bet that Black Widow ends up getting pushed back. Hmm. And the only reason I would say that is because even if we had a vaccine tomorrow, it's still too close. Like people have to get comfortable with the idea of going back into a theater. Yeah. Like right now there's a mental block. So I think that even if they were to release it the day after a vaccine, nobody would still show up because there'd still be this, this lingering fear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, did my vaccine actually work? I don't want to test it on day one. Uh, you know, maybe in two or three weeks I'll, I'll go outside, but you know, not, not on day one. Mm-hmm. So they're going to end up pushing it back. It's our May movie next year, is my bet. Yeah. Like, we're in the podcast. You can go back and listen to the Eric episode where I, I painstakingly lay out that, well, no, that movie has to come out 
you know, then because, you know, D Disney has all of these blockbusters that are like jumbo jets at O'Hare. You know, they have to land at yeah. some point. And you know, look how right I was. So I've gotten to the point, Aaron, where I'm no longer in the predictions business. I am in the, oh, I didn't see that coming business, which is why, again, I'm looking forward to what comes out of this meeting on the 7th, because there's going to be a number of announcements, a number of decisions, and then we'll go from there. But like I said, that's something we'll talk about in a, a future episode of Marvelous Disney. In the meantime, uh, folks, if you're looking for something to listen to before that show shows, we have Disney Dish with Len Testa. We have fine-tuning uh, Drew Taylor, that's animation news. We have Looking at Lucasfilm, that's where Dan Z and I talk about all sorts of Star Wars stuff. Uh, we also have uh, Universal Joint, where I talk about an equally troubled company, the NBC Universal and Comcast, which are having the same sort of dealing with the same sort of challenges that Disney's dealing with right now. Tell you what, folks, if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend. Marvelous Disney, that would be very helpful. If you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be incredibly helpful. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as, as Jim Hill Media News. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.